Today is the last uh, uh, look at our series called Life Hacks, um, uh, as, and there's so much in the book of Proverbs um, that we have not covered every subject, but um, uh, we always come back to it in different uh, times, but uh, uh, today um, we are going to uh, uh, look at um, our appetites. Now, not just our appetites for food, but how many know that we all have appetites for different things? And some of us, more so in other areas, we all have something that we crave, right? Do you ever crave something? I mean, you know, it's like about January, which you've heard me say, I start to crave that corn dog right before the carrot festival. So the carrot festival, it fills my craving uh, for that. And, and then I'm good for a while. Um, but uh, uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes you just get into a craving. Uh, uh, maybe those of you, I don't know how Crystal is, maybe when you're pregnant, you really crave weird things. They, that's what they say. I don't know. I'm, I, I can't speak for all the, the ladies there. Um, but, uh, you know, but we all have cravings at times, and some of them are just normal, everyday uh, uh, cravings that we deal with, and Proverbs talks a lot about that, and it's very practical uh, on what uh, we need to do. And so today, we are going to talk about uh, dealing with those cravings, those appetites, and here's the point. Appetites are good. Okay, I'm not here to tell you that all these things are, are terrible and never do them. They are good, but here's the key thing with appetite. If we don't control it, it can very quickly become bad. That very thing that we crave can become something that enslaves us. Or it can be something that begins to destroy us. And so we're going to talk about today our appetites. We need to learn how to enjoy them, but not let them destroy us. So we need to enjoy, don't destroy what God has put in our life. And so how do we do that? How do we learn to enjoy our appetites without letting them destroy us? It's a word that is very hard for all of us to hear, but it is a word called self-control. Oh, man, why did I come today, this Sunday? Is that what you're thinking? You showed up on this Sunday on self-control. And yet throughout the Bible, it talks about self-control. And not just the Old Testament, but in the New Testament a lot. That this is a key thing that we're going to talk about. But yet, we're going to find that there's, there's a good word on that. Because God doesn't just leave us to, to, to condemn us because you just couldn't control yourself. I'm so glad that God understands that, you know what, left to ourselves, we really don't have self-control. Um, a lot of us, we can agree with that. Um, but here is a fact about it. And, and I want you to focus on this, the marshmallow. How many love marshmallows? I like marshmallows. It's, it's a given. Some people like them, some people don't. Um, uh, me and my mom like it, Michelle and... Uh, my kids hate them. So like Easter time, the peeps, oh, I love them. And other people think they're disgusting. They're either, they're either great or they're disgusting. And I remember I, I love, I try not to do it anymore. This is when I used to eat everything and was about 80 pounds bigger than what I was. Um, but uh, uh, 
peanut butter and marshmallow sandwiches. You get that, that, that jar, that whipped marshmallow? Oh, it was the best, I know. See, other people, that turns you off. You don't have to worry about it at all. It's easy to have self-control when it's disgusting, right? Um, so, but from about 68 to 74, 1968 to 1974, um, there was a, a psychologist from Stanford uh, University um, that decided to do a study. And he brought in a bunch of preschoolers, okay? Little kids that have not, you know, they, they haven't grown up and developed uh, all their uh, cognitive skills or anything like that. And so he did a test that was gonna start the baseline. So when they were four years old, uh, to start this study, which is still going today, Okay, they're still watching it today. Um, uh, but this started it. This is what he did. He brought the four years and he put before them a marshmallow. And he would ask them some questions. And if they got it right, they'd get a marshmallow. And uh, uh, these are kids that loved marshmallows. Okay, so we'll say that. Um, but then here was part of the, the study. Someone would come and knock on the door and he would have to leave. And he would tell the, the kid, he was a... I'm going to have to go real quick for about uh, a short time. But I'm going to leave this marshmallow here. But if you do not eat this marshmallow, when I get back, I'm going to give you two marshmallows. But if you eat this one, then that's the last one you're going to get today. And he would leave the room for about 15 minutes. And um, uh, about a third of the children... Um, would eat the marshmallow in about the first 30 seconds. Just could not hold back. And a four-year-old, I mean, you know, come on. Uh, how are they going to? Uh, so they just ate it. Oh, well, I don't get any more, but at least I got this one. Um, the next third, they waited and squirmed and pushed it off. But after about five minutes, he was only gone about 15 minutes, which was probably like an eternity to them. But after about five minutes, they, they ate it anyway. And then about the last third, somehow they made it all the way through. I mean, you would see some of them uh, 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 tried to lay on the floor, tried to turn their back on it so they weren't looking at it. Uh, uh, some of them tried to go to sleep. Um, whatever they could do, but they made it and they did not eat it. And they got to when he got back. Well, here's the thing. Um, he took all the results and kept all the, the, the stats for that. And then he came back uh, in high school. He followed up with these children. And the children who were able to have self-control and not eat the marshmallow, the one-third, consistently had higher SAT scores than all the other two-thirds that ate the marshmallows. There was a, a, uh, uh, a statistically super higher amount of success in school, in sports, uh, in relationships for these uh, that had, back when they were four years old, had, had chosen not to eat and, and learned self-control. And then he went on a little bit later 
and then um, uh, they came back and checked on them, um, even in college and early adult, and they found that, that these same uh, ones who had learned self-control or who had chosen self-control were all healthier, um, uh, they were uh, uh, less dependent on certain things, whether it was drugs, um, uh, they had less uh, problems in um, uh, their workplace, um, and so they were overall much more successful and happier. They didn't have the burdens. They all coped with stress better. Um, they had less anxiety and fear. Um, uh, they had all um, uh, done much better. Now, now they are looking back on them again because now they are all um, uh, about my age. They are in their 50s, okay, because uh, this was uh, back in 68. Um, so they are uh, in their early 50s, and they are, I, we have not seen the latest results. Uh, he's checking to see how financially better they were, or is there any more difference? So we see this, uh, this definite correlation between self-control and a blessed life. Um, now, this is not a coincidence. Um, and it's not something that is just, um, well, they were born with it. Their four years, those four years just happened to have self-control. That's not the point of the study. The point of the study is self-control, whether you have it when you're four or whether you learn to develop it later in life, no matter when you choose self-control, it leads to a better life. And, and that's what we're talking about, life hacks, that God has given us this life hack. You want to make life better? Um, then choose self-control. You might say, well, I was the four-year-old that ate it within the first five seconds. That's okay. Here's the good news. Even if you didn't have it, let's say yesterday, you can choose to go that direction today and you can begin to see the results in your life. So it doesn't matter what has happened in the past or what you see in yourself. Today, God wants you to know that if you will choose self-control, if you will begin to um, curb these appetites and bring them into your control, God will bless you. There is blessing to be had. And, and so we see Proverbs. This is what it says. Proverbs chapter 25, our verse today in verse 28 says, a man without self-control is like a city that's broken into and is left without walls. You see, if we continue, if we continue to say, I'm just going to live my life however I feel, when it comes to me, I just do it, then you're going to be like a city that is broken into and left ravaged with no protection. Um, it, 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 is, it is like someone who has been raped and just left useless and, and defenseless. N none of us want that. And yet that's what we're doing to ourselves. We are choosing that. And God wants us to, to begin to choose a better way. He has a gift for us if we will begin uh, to enjoy our appetites but not let them destroy us. In 1 Corinthians, the same thing, Paul says this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. You see, this is what God is telling us. God has made everything in this world. The pleasures of this world, he wants us to enjoy. 
There are some people that say to follow God, you just have to turn your back on every pleasure. That's not true. God wants you to enjoy life. Jesus himself said, I have not come to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life abundantly. In, a, in other words, I'm here to let you enjoy those things without those things destroying you. Because without Jesus, the very pleasures of life end up destroying us because we do not have the ability um, to overcome them. So what are we talking about um, uh, as far as appetite? So let's go quickly. We're going to just look through the book of Proverbs because Proverbs over and over again. So this is not one subject, but it's, a, it's all these different subjects that basically fall into this category of appetites. Uh, that God has called us to begin to show self-control, to enjoy them, but not to let them control us. Do not let them become a master over us, that we do not become a slave to them, but that we begin to use them and enjoy them in the way God has meant it uh, to be. The first thing, of course, when we talk about appetites, we're talking about food. Uh, and this is, you know, a lot of times we talk about a whole lot of things spiritually, and a lot of times we don't talk about this. And yet this is one thing that the enemy uses uh, to, to wear down and to destroy um, the good things that God wants us to have. And so food is meant to be enjoyed, but it is not meant to be abused. And, and that is a spiritual uh, 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 subject that God wants us to learn uh, to not abuse food because God does not desire for us to experience diabetes and all the diseases that come with abuse of food. Um, uh, you know, we have enough diseases that just come because we live in this world. Uh, but to, to self-inflict ourselves um, is just on top of that. So what does Proverbs say? It says this. It says in 25 verse 6, if you have found honey... A good representation of good food. I love honey too. Eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. In other words, the same thing we tell our kids. Don't eat so much candy, you're going to get sick. And yet we do the same thing with food. And it's not just honey, this is a representation of all things. He's saying, eat it and enjoy it, but don't overdo it. Unless it make you sick. Unless it destroy the good things that God has for you. Again, uh, we jump down to verse 27. It says, it's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. It's when we eat much and just continue to gorge ourselves with it that we are destroyed by the thing that God has done. Proverbs 23 says, do not be among the drunkards or among the gluttonous eaters of meat. Now, he's not saying eating meat is bad, but when you're gluttonous, when you just eat until I can't eat anymore, we are to control our appetites. Uh, we are to find that place of health and wholeness. Um, uh, that is what God wants for us. So we know that, that in food, we need to begin to make that a spiritual thing in our life. But what about, here's another thing that we crave, drugs and alcohol. Now, you might say, oh, well, we've moved right into the bad thing. No, we have not. Do you know that God created chemicals and drugs uh, and even alcohol? There is purposes of pleasure for that that are good. But the problem is we abuse them. 
um, uh, we use them in ways that destroy ourself. Uh, we use them in ways that they become master over us. And that is where the problem is. I mean, and it's moved into date. We have uh, so many problems. I- I'm not talking about cocaine and heroin. I'm talking about prescription. We have people that are, are so much abusing just pain pills and the opioid addiction and all those things that are meant to be good to bring us uh, 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 relief from things, and yet we have abused them. And so this is what it says in Proverbs. And of course, they don't, it kind of lumps all of this into wine. Wine is a representation of all of these things that we consume uh, that will control us. Uh, in chapter 20, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it, it is not wise. We cannot let these things destroy us. Now, I'm not the person that, that's going to stand up here and say, if you drink a glass of wine, you're bad, because that's not true. Jesus drank that. But there is so much, if we cannot do self-control, I'm going to tell you right now, it is better not to drink at all than to destroy your life over it, because wine, alcohol, these things will consume you. And I'm going to put the red flag. It's not something to play with. It's not something to see how far we can go. Do not play with it because it will destroy your life. There's people in here that can attest to that. You've struggled with that and you've overcome it. But we need to begin to start right now and say, I'm not going to let that become something in my life. Look what it says. It says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? These are a bad life. Who has redness of eyes? I'm going to tell you who it is. Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. Because in the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. We need to understand this appetite, this craving. And there are those in, in, in Christianity that will say, well, we're free to do it. We can, we can drink wine. It doesn't say that we're not. You're right. But it also said in that verse that we just read that everything is lawful, but that doesn't mean everything is helpful for you. It doesn't mean that everything is good for you. Just because it's not a sin does not mean that I can just do it. And the problem is there's many people like that, that because they take advantage of their liberty, have been drawn back into the very clutches of sin. In fact, Paul says this, how dare we after being set free go back to the very things that hold on to us? So we need to begin to be wise in the things that we learn to give our appetite to. Not only uh, uh, alcohol and drugs, but let's look at sex. Um, it is a good thing. Again, um, uh, this is a gift of God. It is not something that people have turned it into this dirty thing that is to be avoided or not. T- because the only thing that has made that is because we have abused it. We have used it outside of where its purpose was, that its purpose was within the marriage confines. And within the marriage confines, it is a beautiful thing. In fact, Proverbs says, enjoy the wife of your youth. Um, that, that within that place, um, that is part of a healthy relationship. But outside, it is an absolute death warrant because we destroy our 
emotional self. You might say, well, it doesn't do any, any harm. You know, uh, they, it was consensual and, and we were fine. You may think that, but you see that was meant to be an intimate place of connection. That if you, it is not within a marriage confine, you may not notice it, but it rips you apart on the inside every time that takes place outside of the covenant of marriage. It's just the same thing as saying, I love you, God, but I can go and, and have these little flings with other idols. Every time you do that, that rips your relationship with God. And it's the same thing with sex. So therefore, we need to learn to have that appetite, but to control it. Proverbs 5 um, says this, For the lips of a forbidden woman, and this goes for men too, Drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. And how many know we live in a world that says you guys are crazy because sex is fine and, and we are to enjoy one another. And it doesn't matter man or woman or which whatever. It is smooth and honey and it sounds so good. But it says, but in the end. You see, they never wait to the end and ask people when their life is ruined. Oh, how did that work out for you? In the end, she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. It says, the commandment, and this commandment uh, uh, to avoid that appetite of sex in the wrong way, is a lamp and a teaching, a light. The reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Ooh, what a picture there of that. But that's our appetite. And so this goes not just uh, to that, but just the desires. Are we giving in to our appetite for relationships, for that intimate pleasure? God wants us to have intimacy. He, we are created for it but it needs to be within the covenant that God brings and then it brings life and fullness. But yet, if we give in to these appetites outside, it is a deception that will destroy us. Um, uh, it says, I love this, this picture of it when it talks about it. It says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? See, a lot of us say, well, I can do it and, and I can get away and it's not gonna hurt. And I'm not going to let it affect me. Well, can you carry fire next to your chest and not be burned? It, it says, can you walk on hot coals and your feet not be scorched? You see, you can't play the game with these appetites. We need to understand these appetites, if left to their own, they will burn us. You cannot hold it and not get burned. You're not different. I'm different from everyone else. I don't know why people think that they're, you know, somehow... Uh, different from everyone else who has done this, but it will destroy. It says, he who commits adultery lacks sense. In other words, you're a fool. He who does it destroys himself. Straightforward. Um, uh, so we need to show self-control. Here's another thing. Maybe it's not um, intimacy. Maybe it's not sex and drugs and alcohol and rock and roll. We're not gonna go to rock and roll. But maybe it's just pleasure. Hey, is it wrong? Just I want to go do and have fun with my family and do these things. Pleasure itself. God says you still need to be aware. I mean, it's good to enjoy life. But look what it just says. 
Whoever loves pleasure. It doesn't specify. It just says, if that is your desire, man, I just like to have a good time. You will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. You see, if we just seek after pleasure for pleasure's sake, it will destroy you. You're going to end up poor. Maybe not poor money, but you will be poor of relationships. You will be poor of spirit. You will be poor of godliness because pleasure cannot be the focus of our life. In fact, it says better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and the trouble that goes with it. You see, it's better to not have all the pleasure, but I have the fear of God and God is with me and I will have pleasure than to have all the pleasure in the world and all the trouble that goes with it. Because pleasure is good for a short time, but if that's all you want and if that decides your life, it says sooner or later, it goes away and then you are left with nothing. Um, not only that, but what about our emotions? What about anger? You know, some of us, we have an appetite for anger. Some of us, uh, and again, see, all of these, we don't, this doesn't affect everyone, but all of us will find our place in one of these categories. Some of us, it's uh, temper. Our temper just gets the best of us. And that, once that, that, that uh, 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 spark hits, man, that's, that's our downfall. That's our appetite that jumps up. Um, this is the appetite of our young little dog. I love our dog from Michelle and Octavio, but she has a little temper. And when you get just that right thing, she explodes. And we have another dog. She doesn't explode on us or anyone else, but this one dog gets it every time. You're going to be my outlet. And she just takes off after him. Um, so we're learning to teach her self-control. But we're the same way. Do we not all do that with our mouth, uh, with our attitude? Anger uh, becomes our uh, uh, lack of self-control. Proverbs, again, says a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger will quiet contention. It says, Proverbs 19, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Man, can we learn to sometimes just overlook something? I'm just not going to. Now, again, we're saying there's a place for anger. There's a place for holy anger. There's a place for righteous anger. But we need to be careful. Is it God that we are truly glorifying? Um, or are we giving up? Because there's a reason some of us are, have that, that place. Because there are, are, are gifts that God has given each one of us uh, to use that indignation. I mean, there was prophets that God gave them that sense of, of, of uh, uh, response against sin who stood up and, and came against that. But yet many of us, we use it for our own uh, uh, reasons. And so anger uh, begins to be something that takes advantage of us. It says in 29, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. How many times do we hear this excuse? I just needed to vent. I just needed to vent. And we even justify people, well, they just need to vent. Well, here's what the word of God says. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. 
Because sometimes when you start that venting, you might think it's good, but once you get it started, it's going to take you farther than what you wanted. You're no longer venting because every vent hurts someone. And most time it hurts yourself. Um, because there are things that um, uh, uh, we need to learn to handle and not vent. Um, uh, now, I'm saying you do need to learn to handle it because I agree that there are, you cannot just hold it in and, and begin to stuff it down and let it destroy you, but there is a way to handle it, and it is called self-control. And it is called a godly healing that God will come in and deal with those things. But it is a fool who gives full vent to his spirit. Here's another one. Maybe for some of our younger ones, this is true, popularity. We all crave people to like us. How is that wrong? And and there's nothing wrong with it. It is a good thing. Uh, God wants us to desire uh, the popularity. We want want God to like us. I I want to be popular in God's eyes. I want to be uh, uh, known by him. But here's what it says. It says, the fear of man lays a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. In other words, if you care what other people think about you, be careful because it's laying a trap for you. If you care what people at work think about you, you know, we need to have a good reputation, but we need to be careful that that does not cause us to make choices that we should not make. See, that's the problem of caring what other people think, that it directs our life. When what directs our life should be the trust in the Lord. Um, uh, what that really is, is pride. When we care what other people, we want popularity, we want people to like us. You know what that is? It's pride. And it says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, now I might say, I don't want popularity, but I just want my own friends. I don't care what other people think of me, but I want friends. Now you might say, what's wrong with that? Uh, it's the same thing. Here's the problem. When you want friends, You need to understand that friends can destroy you. So here's where we need to have self-control. Not in having friends, but who are your friends? Who do you choose to have friends? I'm gonna tell you the big thing. If they're not Christian, there's a danger. If they are not following God, they're gonna lead you away. There's no other way. And I know the biggest thing is, well, I'll lead them to Christ. How about you lead them to Christ and then become good friends with them? It doesn't go the other way around because they will always... Um, lead you away it says a man of many companions may come to ruin but there is only one friend who sticks closer than a brother you see you can have all the friends a man of many friends ends up in destruction but it's the person who has one friend that sticks closer than a brother that's the person who has a friend Um, and those are the friends that we need to choose people who know that one friend Therefore, we have a common friend um, that keeps us safe. It says, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You see, how many, I'm going to tell you, for our students, but this is for our adults too. Association sometimes will get you in worse trouble, but I didn't do it. They're the ones that did it. I don't care, you were with them. I had a good friend um, that uh, uh, in high school, she was out and, and from what I know, and I'm sure she might have had a drink, but she was out partying. 
And she wasn't drinking. I don't think it showed her blood alcohol was drinking, but yet she was with them. And that night, coming home from the party, they flipped into a canal and they were all killed. Was it her fault? No, but she was with those friends. Us as an adults are the same way. We need to be careful. Who are you choosing as friends? Um, lest we get entangled ourselves in that snare. So we need to understand that we need to uh, begin to choose those friends. It says this, leave the presence of a fool, for there you will not meet words of knowledge. What is a fool? Here's what the Bible says. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. If you have friends that say there is no God, I'm not serving God, I'm gonna tell you they're a fool. Now I'm not saying you cannot be friends with them, but they better not be your companions in everything you do, or it will lead you away. Uh, do not be surprised when you get caught up in things that you didn't want to be caught up in. Um, uh, we need to love them. We need to be an influence on them. We need to, to be nice to them. I'm not saying to say, oh, I can't talk to you. You're a sinner. That's wrong. But they cannot be our companions who we have given our heart to. Um, and they are our friends in that sense. So let's close with this. Self-control. A lot of things we need to show self-control in. And maybe some of those really stuck out to you. How do we do it? Here's the thing. Self-control is not possible by yourself. I'm just going to say that. Self-control is not possible by yourself. How many of we've tried this? You're hearing me talk and you know that you've tried over and over, but you keep blowing it. Because here's the thing. It's a gift and a fruit. Self-control comes only from God. Um, when we try and do it ourselves, even Paul said this, the very things that I want to do, I end up not doing. And he loved God. The very things I don't want to do, I end up doing them. You know why? Because we're all broken. We don't have self-control. So therefore, we need it given to us, and we need it to grow within us. It is a gift and it is a fruit. This is what the Bible says in 2 Timothy. It says, for this reason, he's talking to Timothy, who is a young, young Christian, a young Christian just learning. He said, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So he said, Timothy, you need to fan into flame the gift of God. And what is the gift of God? The gift of God is power, love, and self-control. So it is a gift, but it's not a passive gift. It's not something that just hits us. Ooh, boom, Ooh, I'm saved, I have self-control. What did he tell him? He said, Timothy, you have to fan it into flame because that gift starts as a little spark but you have to consciously say, thank you, God, for that gift. I'm going to exercise it. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to fan it into flame. That means I have to keep working on it. It's not going to happen right away. But as I fan it into flame, it's going to grow within me. It's a gift. It is a gift that I begin to use. It's like a Christmas gift. It's under the tree, but you've got to open it up. 
You've got to take it out of the box. You've got to put it on. You've got, but it was given. It's not yours by yourself. It was given to you. We need to say, God, help me to fan this gift into my heart. God, I need your self-control. I need you to help me because, man, I crave those things. Um, and they're good, but I'm, they, they end up taking me farther than I want. Begin to use the gift of God. But not only is it just a gift, it's also a fruit. And it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So see, that's what we're talking about. How do I not gratify those things? How do I show self-control? By walking in the Spirit. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, and these are opposed to each other. And we know that. We have this fight inside of us. I, I want to, but I don't do it. So therefore, to keep you from doing the things you want to do, the Spirit is what leads us. It says this, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. These are all the things we just talked about. Sexual immorality, impurity, uh, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all the things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the very last one, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And to those who belong to Christ Jesus, um, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. So he's saying, I understand that there's a war within you, but if you will come to the Spirit, there's a gift I will give you. There's a fruit that I will grow within you. And if we begin to seek the Spirit, he will grow that in, in us. So the first thing we need to do is we need to have more of the Spirit in us. When we seek the Spirit, He will begin to produce that in us. We may not even know where it comes from because in ourself we don't have it. But the more that we seek the Spirit, God, help me, I want more of you. I want more of you. He will begin to grow within you. He'll make you better. He will give you what you don't have and it becomes a fruit like a tree that, that the more you water it, the more you nurture it, just like that gift you've got to open up and use it, the fruit you have to nurture it and water it and weed it and it grows. And so as we do both of those things, God gives us that self-control. I want us to ask ourselves. Where are my appetites leading me? What cravings do I need to begin to cut back on? Do I need to say, God, step in and draw a line? They're good. God wants you to enjoy life. In fact, God has a great life for you. But are we willing to say, Holy Spirit, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you to give me the gift of self-control. Holy Spirit, I need you to grow it within me. And as I do that, I'm gonna enjoy, I'm gonna enjoy every bit of pleasure that you have for me.
but I'm going to do it within the boundaries of self-control. And because of that, I can now enjoy it without worrying about what's going to happen. I don't have to worry about what it's going to cost me if I do this because I am seeking the Holy Spirit. I am wanting to glorify God in everything that I do. And when I do that, God is going to give us self-control and life. Let's bow our heads.